I wanted to speak into this whole situation with the Ukraine and Russia because there's a lot of stuff being said and spoken and uh, I thought that we should have a look at what the Bible says. Is anyone with me? Because uh, I, don't, I don't really look at newspapers or... I don't think I've actually opened a newspaper for a long time. So I don't look at newspapers or news apps. I'd rather look at the Bible. It's actually more accurate in a lot of cases. So you'd be aware of what's happening in the Ukraine right now. And uh, let's just take a few moments to pray and ask the Lord to open the Scriptures because I think this is, a, this is heady stuff right now. We really need to seriously have a look at, at what, what is happening in the world and understand. Let's just pray together. Lord, I just pray that as we open the Scriptures that you would speak to us that you would lead us, that you would guide us. And Lord, we pray for the people of Ukraine and for those of Russia, but for the people in Ukraine facing this war, Lord, we pray that you would just wrap your arms around them and protect them, Lord God. Lord, that you would protect the believers in there, that this would result in the gospel going out to more and more places, this terrible war. And we just commit those people to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was talking to my friend Bill Newman during the week and he's preached in all of these places. Just before I joined his team, he's preached in, in Donetsk and a few of those places. He said, we saw thousands of people coming to Christ in the Ukraine. Thousands. This church is very strong in the Ukraine. You might have seen it on, on pictures and, and videos and stuff like that. So we're, we're talking about people who really love God here that are in a terrible situation. And uh, what a lot of people have been asking is, is there any significance prophetically with what's happening here? And there's all sorts of stuff uh, coming out in, in very reliable mediums like Facebook, um, <laughs> claiming this and claiming that, and there's Christians grabbing hold of all the weird and wonderful things. I thought we need to have a look at what the Bible says about this. Don't you agree? Because there is so much stuff out there. So let me start by saying this. I believe that we are living in the last days. I believe that Jesus could come back at any time. The, God, the Bible gives us clues as to what's happening to support. He, the Bible does not give us absolutes or timetables. The Bible just lays out glimpses. And uh, the question that you have to ask yourself is what's actually going on? What's actually going to happen? I'm sure you all know. Maybe not. Let's have a look and find out. See, God knows... And uh, he's not shocked by any of this. God knows. But God never gives us a firm timeline. Why should he? If Christ was... Some people are saying that Christ is returning. They've done all the figures and calculations. Christ is returning in September of this year. And uh, I'll, I'll let you know in October how accurate that is. But um, if, if, if you knew for sure that Jesus was returning in September this year... You could just get your life right in August and you'd be right for eternity. That would work, wouldn't it? But see, we don't know God's exact timetable. We don't know his time frame and he is under no obligation to tell us. Johnny Cash had a song years ago. Any Johnny Cash fans here? A few? Yeah. He had a song years ago called Matthew 24 is knocking at the door about end times. And I think it's a great time to open our Bibles to Matthew 24 and see what Jesus said about the end times before we have a look specifically at what's going on <coughs> between Russia and the Ukraine. Now, in Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says this, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now, I would have said that was pretty definitive, wouldn't you? 
I know when Jesus is coming back. Well, good for you because no one else does. And the Bible says no one else does. Jesus probably knows now, but when, certainly when he was on earth, he did, you know, it, it was withheld from him and for good reason. So let's, you know, let me ask you this. Why does no one know? There has to be a reason why God doesn't tell us this stuff, right? Well, a few verses later in, in verse 42, it says this. Jesus says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming stay awake a few verses later in 44 it says this therefore you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect the whole thing is he's not going to tell you and telegraph to you when he's coming back because it's going to be a big surprise who likes surprises not that much right but this is going to be a real big one. And if you think you have God's timeline pegged and you got it all worked out and nailed down, then you are probably wrong. And I want to encourage you to not fall for that stuff. You know, it's, 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 getting, it's been spread out all over. I want to encourage you, don't fall for that stuff. Open your Bible and read it and pray and ask the Lord and get good teaching, but don't fall for everything that you dished. In fact, I, just for, for a bit of a lark, I thought I'd go and I looked up um, the return of Christ on Wikipedia, an, another reliable source of information, and um, they quote at least 50 failed predictions of Jesus' return. They have them listed there. And, uh, you know, it, it sort of begs the question... Are we doing the right thing if we're trying to predict this stuff? And the answer, of course, is no, because no one knows. It's going to be a big surprise. Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus asked this question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And that is the question. Christians often argue about, you know, end time things. I am going, I'm definitely in trouble preaching a message on the end times because somebody is going to not agree with me. I look around the room, I see several pastors and retired pastors. They're all going to have an opinion, probably won't be mine. I'll get in trouble afterwards. You, you may chastise me then. But the thing is, everybody has a different... Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one and most of them smell. So, you know, you, you, everybody has an opinion on this sort of stuff. And you might be a pre, pre-tribulation or a mid or a, a post-tribulation or an amillennialist or... My, my wife's favourite one, a pan-millennialist, it'll all pan out in the end because she can't be bothered sorting it through, you know. So there's all, but, but all these ideas you have in your head, all these things, they're just opinions. Here's, here's, here's a really cool theological position. This, this is an easy one. Pray for pre and prepare for post. Okay? So pray for the, that it's pre-tribulation, then you don't have to go through it. But prepare each day as if it may not be. Because when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find it in your heart? Will you be doing what he wants when he returns one day? So Jesus said in Matthew 16, he was speaking to uh, the the, uh, scribes and the Pharisees and he said this. He said, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. That sounds like the sunshine ghost. He says this, Jesus says, You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it. You see, we know, we can look at the, at, at the sky and make a prediction about the weather, but what he's saying is we can't read the times the same way. 
Isn't that interesting? And he said that to religious leaders. So this is not something that is an intellectual thing to sort of sort through. This is something that we need to seek God about and get revelation on. And there are certain signs of the times in the Bible um, that the Bible tells us to be looking for. In fact, when Jesus describes the end times, he describes it as birth pains. Now, isn't that interesting? How many of you have given birth? Quite a few of you. Understand it's quite painful. Um, it was, you know, it was, I, I was holding my wife's hand as she was as delivering some of our, our, our babies. And I can tell you, it's very painful. Um, I, at, the, at the end of three, I said, sweetheart, I can't go through this anymore. And she said, you! <laughs> you know? But, but see, Jesus likens it to birth pains. And in birth pains, what happens is the closer you get to delivery, they increase in frequency the contractions, and they increase in intensity. Am I right, ladies? Okay. So that's what Jesus likens the, 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 the time leading up to his return as birth pains. And today we are seeing more and more signs, more things happening, and they are more intense. And these are just to remind us that Jesus is coming back again and the time is getting closer. His return is getting closer. Let's look at a few of these signs in Matthew 24, verse 37. 37 to 39 it says this for as for as were the days of noah so it will be for the coming of the son of man for as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the son of man now that's pretty clear isn't it as in the days of Noah, it will be in... And if you look at our society today, it's pretty much as in the days of Noah. It's, it's full of debauchery, it's full of sin, it's full of conflict, all of this stuff. And I, I really, I've always pondered that, that he says, but it, it'll be as in the days of Noah, but they'll be, they'll be giving him, they'll be marriage and they'll be giving him marriage. And, that's, and I thought, why would you put that in? You could say people will be being born, being dying. They'll be, you know, why would he put marriage? I, I had no idea why God, why, why Jesus would specifically mention marriage until a few years ago when we had a plebiscite and everybody tried to change what marriage looked like. Isn't it interesting? Well, they're talking about marriage, but we want our own version of it in our society. So it's quite interesting that people living for themselves, eating, drinking, you know, interested in marriage, da 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 da. But in Matthew 24, verses 5 to, to 8, it says this. Here's some more signs. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Has that happened? Yes. Lots. <coughs> and then it says this, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. The beginning of the birth pains. It's not the fruition. It's not the, 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 the final contraction before birth. This is the beginning of the birth pains. And certainly we see all this. Uh, false saviors, people claiming to know. People claiming... Do, do you know, the, people saying they've got secret knowledge is not new. It's been around since the birth of the church. They called them Gnostics before. They call them crackpots now, but it doesn't matter. That people say, oh, I've got this special knowledge that, that this is going to happen, you know. And of course we see wars, rumors of wars, etc. 
Here's a few uh, interesting uh, facts to support that. NBC reports an increase in earthquakes of over 200% versus the previous century. Now, some would dispute that. Some would say they're the same. But I'll tell you what isn't the same. The amount of damage and, and loss of life has gone up exponentially through earthquakes. You think of that tsunami back in, was it 2004? How, how many people died in that? You know, I mean, it, it, it's... The intensity has gone up, if not the frequency. Oxfam reports a six-fold increase in people suffering from famine-like conditions since COVID. Now, you could argue that there is less famine now than there was, but there is still plenty of famine. Wars, of course, we're talking about uh, the war in the Ukraine. War is, is increasing in, uh, in, in uh, number, but also in severity. In the 20th century, over 108 million people died in, in war in one 100-year period. There's two world wars in there. Think of all the other wars, all the tiny wars that you don't hear much about in Africa, that sort of stuff. In fact, in the 3,400 years of recorded human history, there has only been 268 years without a war in it. We seem to love war, us human beings. And all of this we are seeing increasing, if not in frequency, then certainly in intensity. Like birth pains, the contractions are getting stronger and stronger and more frequent. Matthew 24 verse 7 says this, For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Now the Greek word for pestilence is the Greek word loimos. And according to Vine's Dictionary, it is defined as a plague, any deadly infectious malady. So it can't be cancer because that's not infectious. It's an infectious malady that's, that spreads. Can you think of something that's happened maybe in the last couple of years that has spread around the world? Rack your brain? Maybe a virus or something? That, in fact, that, that probably, that term perfectly describes what happened with COVID. So I think you'd agree there's certainly a lot of signs lining up there. Do you agree with that? So maybe we're getting closer. But this is, this is where we start to look forward a little bit because at some point, some dude is going to walk in and he's going to say, hey, I have all the answers. The Bible warns of a world leader who will come to dominate and deceive people but ultimately reveal his true colours that he's in league with Satan himself. And his name, of course, he is called the Antichrist. Now, you've heard about this. Some of you have used this term to describe your mother-in-law. Some of you have. Right? But, but this term, is, it's, it culminates... In, in, in a single person, but we probably, well, we definitely have not seen that. See, the Bible teaches there will be many antichrists, and I'm sure if, you, if we were sitting here in World War II, you would think that Hitler was the antichrist. But he wasn't the antichrist. He was a antichrist. And, but all of these guys build up and they culminate in the beasts that you read in Revelation 13 and 19. So let me read 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 to 4. There's a lot of scripture in this because we need to know what God is saying. It says this, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's the Antichrist. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. What, what the Antichrist is, whether it's a single person or a system, 
it is setting itself up to replace God. That's what it's doing. And saying, hey, I'm God. That, that's what it's all about. Now, do I think the Antichrist has come yet? No. Is he in the world at the moment? Could be. It's a sobering thought. But I tell you what, I do believe a lot of the government overreach and intense control that we have seen as a result of COVID and imposing themselves on people is just a sign or a foretaste of what is going to come when the Antichrist emerges. I do not believe that COVID was the start of the tribulation, but it was a really good dress rehearsal. Because what, what we have seen for the first time in my memory and for the first time for probably all of us, what we have seen is governments learn how to control billions of people using the medium of health concerns and mandates to control. Okay? Whether you, which, whichever side of the debate you fall on, you have to admit there's been a level of control. And look, that's just a foretaste probably of what is going to happen when this, this person emerges, the Antichrist. Now, strangely, in the space of a few days, we are now hearing practically nothing about COVID. It's like COVID got wiped out by a flood. And the media has now replaced COVID with, and, and the fear of a pandemic with a fear of a world war into Russia. So some of us are rushing ahead into prophecies here. That's my Russian joke. But um, many Bible scholars believe that this is spoken about in Ezekiel chapter 38. There's a prophetic word there. Yep, Russian head first into prophecy. That's what we're about to do. Now, in Ezekiel 38, it speaks of a nation called Magog attacking Israel. And it is believed that Magog is modern-day Russia. Now, obviously, when you mention ancient peoples and you start equating them with modern nations, it gets a little bit woolly. Um, but in essence, it talks about Gog and Magog. Now, Gog is a person. He's the leader of a country called Magog which is the one in prophecy which is going to attack Israel. It, Magog is, um, Josephus identifies Magog as the land from which the Scythians descended, which is an area currently occupied by Russia and several other nations of the former Soviet Union, including the Ukraine. So Ezekiel 38 verses 1 to 2 says this. This is where it gets a little heavy, so please bear with me. If you're on Facebook, don't get a cup of tea right now. Listen to this. Ezekiel 38 verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face towards Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince Meshet and Tubal and prophesy against him. So Gog was the chief prince of, of Meshech and Tubal, and which we believe are modern, areas of modern day Turkey. And they're actually two, two of the sons of, of Japheth, which is one of Noah's sons. So there's a little bit of a sort of a a genealogy through here, okay? If you look back at Genesis 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 2, it says, The sons of Japheth, which is Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshesh, and Tiras. So, you didn't think I could speak in tongues, did you? But I can. Um, so so these, these, these people, are, well, these nations are actually mentioned back in Genesis, and they're the same ones cropping up here. This is a long-term thing, folks. This is not a flash in the pen. This is something that has been going for a long time. So Ezekiel named these and other nations because what Ezekiel is describing here is a coalition, a political union of nations from north of Israel, in fact, the extreme north of Israel in some cases, that will ultimately make a final assault on the nation of Israel. 
after the people have been restored to their homeland. So the coalition also includes, look at this, Ezekiel 38 verses 5 to 6. Listen to these names. Persia, Cush and Put are with them, with the shield and helmet. Goma and all his hordes. Beth Togama, from the uttermost parts of the north, with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. So if you look at, at, at where they think these countries currently are, um, these are Gog's allies. Okay, Persia is Iran. We know that one. Kush is Ethiopia. Put is Libya or some other country in North Africa. Goma is people north of the Black Sea, possibly the Ukraine and further north. And Beth Togomar is Armenia. Now, you might say, well, that's all very weird and all these nations are going to gather together to go against Israel, led by Russia. That's the way it looks. But I read something yesterday... Um, and this really intrigued me. Listen, I'll read it out. This is verbatim what came up on the few news apps I actually read. said this, As the Russian attacks on the Ukraine spill over into the cyber realm, state-sponsored Iranian hackers have launched a global espionage campaign aimed at Europe, North America and Australia. So what you're seeing there is that these nations are already joining together. When it talks about Persia... But Iran is already aligned with Russia right now. You don't have to wait for some future time. It's happening right now. So see, some of these things are starting to line up. But here's the thing. They're not attacking the Ukraine. What Ezekiel 38 talks about, they are attacking Israel. So that is coming at a future time. We'll get to that in a minute. But there's just more birth pains. They're just getting more and more intense and closer together. So for all of this to happen, <coughs> for history to roll out like this, for us to see these incredible signs and the return of Christ, there was one big, big, big sign, big miracle that had to happen to kick this whole thing off. For 2,000 years, the Jews have roamed the world in the diaspora. They've, they've roamed the world. What had to happen for these things to be fulfilled, there had to be a nation of Israel, a physical nation of Israel. Right? After two millennia, the key sign, the key sign in the last hundred years is when Israel came back to the nation. Now we know after World War II and the Holocaust, Jewish people from all around the planet began landing in their, their home country of Israel. It wasn't a country at that time. It was a miracle. They'd never seen it before. But you, you, must, you must look, stand back and say that is definitely a God moment when the people of Israel came back to Israel. So Isaiah 66 verse 8, this is how miraculous it is. Now these people, you think about it, since, since AD 70, I'm guessing somewhere around there, the people of Israel, the Jews have been dispersed all around the world. They've been in, in, in all the nations, all the cities in the world that suffered the Holocaust, all this sort of stuff. But then Isaiah 66 verse 8 says this, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth, forth her children. So make no mistakes. Can a, land be, can, can a land be birthed in one day? It was. May the 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation instantly. That, that just doesn't happen, certainly for people who've been dispersed around the globe. So that part of the prophecy has been fulfilled. 
You can't have any of this end time stuff if you haven't got Israel in their homeland. It just doesn't work at all. But then it says that, that a nation from the extreme north of Israel will march on her called Magog. So if you look at a map, you'll see that, that the geographical area of Russia, it's a really big place. Ukraine used to be part of the Russian Empire. They broke away in 1991 after the fall of communism. Could they be part of the Russian Empire again? Could be. You would have to say, you know, com communism didn't die in 1991, folks. You could argue that communism is alive and well in our country, in our state. But it is definitely alive and well in the Soviet bloc. Remember, President Putin used to be in the KGB. And I don't think he's changed his spots. But there's one thing. When I see Russia or Magog, I see aggression. And it's a reminder that Magog is an aggressive nation intent on ultimately attacking Israel. Probably, some, some believe at the start of the tribulation, some believe maybe at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, but that's another story. But the point is, they've, they formed this coalition together to attack Israel. So let's make this clear. Ezekiel 38 describes Magog attacking Israel, not the Ukraine. So if you say, is this all part of, you know, is this part of prophecy and this sort of stuff? There is no prophecy that says Magog will attack the Ukraine. But there is that it says it will attack Hitler. Oh, sorry, it will attack um, uh, Israel. So I'm sorry. What I'm, the reason I said Hitler, I looked at my nose. Because see, what I think is happening right now, what I think we're witnessing right now, is Russia flexing its muscles. What they're doing is they're, 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 they're flexing their muscles trying to see how much land they can take and to see how the West reacts. Exactly what Hitler did in 1938. Oh, we only want this bit. Oh, we're only going to take this bit. Oh, no, we want a little bit more. We want a little bit more. Remember Neville Chamberlain? Came back at peace in our time? It wasn't because you can't... These people don't want peace. They want power. And so that's what I think you're seeing now. I don't think it's Armageddon. I don't think that, that this, is, this is what we're looking at. But what we're seeing is the flexing of the muscles, the beginning of the birth pains. The Bible says that in the end, when Gog and... He, so if we flip forward to what's going to actually happen, the, the Bible makes this very clear in Ezekiel. It says that when Gog and his armies reach Israel, God's wrath will flare. In his fiery rage, he will send a great earthquake to Israel that will make every living creature tremble and demolish natural and man-made objects in, in uh, Ezekiel 38, 18. Gog's troops will be so panicked they will begin killing one another and the, sl the slaughter will be helped along by other God-sent disasters. See, ultimately, Gog's invasion of um, the world or, or invasion of Israel will be crushed by God in front of the whole world because the whole world will see the holiness and the majesty and the power of God reflected in that conflict. So we don't, we don't have anything to fear. Because we know who wins that battle. Now remember this, prophecies about Gog and Magog and all the other countries are only significant where they intersect the nation of Israel. If you want a marker on world events, keep your eyes on Israel. That's your marker. Because, because God has laid stuff out in his word and it centers around the nation of Israel. So let's talk about us as Christians. We might as well get this one. Are you wrapped in the rapture? 
Because a lot of people say, well, the rapture isn't in the Bible. And that's true. The word rapture is not in the Bible. But the description of it is very clearly in the Bible. Jesus said when, think about it. Jesus said, when you see these signs ahead of you, freak out. Is that what he said? No, he didn't say that. In fact, he said in Luke 21, verse 28, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. When we see these signs, we should get excited, not fearful, excited, because our redemption is drawing near. Straighten up is the word anakipto, which in, in Greek, which means to lift up. The Greek word for redemption is apolytrosis, which is a term referring to somebody liberating somebody else by buying them back, paying a sum of money and buying them, ransoming them. So what Jesus is saying is when you see these signs happening, get excited. Because you're already ransomed. He already came and paid the price for us on the cross. And the devil is already a defeated foe. So here is the bottom line, the takeaway truth. So many Bible prophecies predicted so long ago, waited for by faithful Christians for centuries. All of these things that Christians have been talking about and waiting for for centuries, this stuff is being fulfilled right in front of our eyes right now. We should get excited about this. Because stuff that they only dreamed of a century or two ago has actually happened. And it's getting more and more of these are, are, are happening all the time. So we don't need to be fearful. The world, they're fearful. If you don't have Christ in your heart, you're fearful because you're worried that this will explode into a world war. And it could. But the possibility of a world war, destruction, Armageddon and that sort of stuff, if you're not a Christian, it's terrifying. But if you are a Christian, then you need to realize that God has you in the palm of his hand and he will never leave you nor forsake you. So we have nothing to fear. Let me remind you of what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4. He wrote this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He's not sending an angel this time. This is the return of Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I used to go to a Baptist church. My Pentecostal friend said, you'll be the first up in the rapture because you're dead. <laughs> Thanks, dude. That's not what it means. You know what it means. Actual dead people in Christ will rise first. This is this. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. These are here for our encouragement. Because at some point, and who knows, maybe, maybe the archangel's licking his lips to blow that trumpet right now. You know, it's getting closer all the time, but we should not be fearful because at some point we will be caught up together with him and so shall we be with the Lord forever. These signs and prophecies in scriptures are designed to encourage us to keep going, to keep serving, to keep seeking the Lord because it says Jesus will return. We don't know when. We need to be on our guard. We need to make sure we're serving him. But he is not going to return when some prophetic guy juggles a few numbers and comes up with September this year. Paul charged Timothy. This is a good takeaway for this morning. Paul charged Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verse 23 to 24, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. 
And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil. By all means, get interested in the Bible. Learn about these signs. It's fascinating stuff. It's really interesting. But sitting around arguing the toss on prophetic uh, predictions is foolish. It's a waste of time. You don't know if you're right. You don't know if the other guy's right. You are wasting everybody's time. And it's foolishness. It's not profitable. Although it does make a change from wasting time discussing COVID. So there you go. But I want to caution you, when, when we're looking at this stuff, have something firm in your mind that you believe God is, 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 is teaching you about this, but don't sit around arguing about it. I've seen Christians' churches split over arguments about what may or may not happen in, in the future in and around the, the tribulation and the millennium. What a stupid reason to split a church over. Seriously. Because no, neither side knows for sure. Jesus said, no one knows the hour of his return. So why try and read into Bible passages things that are not there and not helpful for living a victorious life in Christ? Why would we bother doing it? It is foolishness. So let me finish with this. What should we do or should we not do? As a result of all this stuff, it's all, you, you've seen it out there. It's churning around. People are talking about what do we do or what don't we do? How, how do we respond to this? TJ Tim said this, God did, did not give us all of these signs so we could build bomb shelters in our backyard, but bigger tables so we can invite our friends around to dinner and tell them about Jesus. Now that's a good takeaway, isn't it? What should we do and what shouldn't we do? We certainly should not get wrapped up in meaningless discussions about interpretations of prophecy. I'm happy for you to disagree with me on any of these points. I really don't care because it's not that important. If we can join on the important things like the gospel, then the, our opinion on this can fly through to, you know, you can have your opinion whichever way you want to have it. But don't let these things divide. You can't prove it. And, and honestly, vigorous discussion of this stuff mostly never causes unity. It causes disunity. And we need to be in unity as a body of Christ more than ever before. Are you agreed? Well, we need to stand together. We need to be a community, a family standing together, not a bunch of bickering, arguing people. This sort of stuff, if it takes hold, if it, if it runs in people's minds and they grab one side or the other or whatever, it never causes unity, it divides Christians, it confuses, and sometimes it embarrasses the name of the Lord. Those people saying Jesus is coming back in September will look pretty ridiculous in October. But so will the name of the Lord will have been dragged through the mud yet again because of the foolishness of man. So we should be on our guard against some of the foolishness in Facebook. Facebook is not the Bible, folks. Don't propagate it and certainly do not build a doctrine on it. That being said, better than reading Facebook's newspapers or news websites, try reading the Bible. If we do, we might see that Gog and Magog are likely to be Russia, but in the, it's only significant in a future day when they turn and they come for Israel. That's when it's going to be significant. Not now and not the Ukraine. So as the Luke passage suggested before, we should look up. We should be remembering that whatever is happening, God is in control. God is, see, you, the people are out there in the world, they're fearful of this stuff, but I'm telling you, God is in control. I know. I've read the book. I know what happens. We win. We have nothing to fear. 
If you know you're going to win, it changes the way, the way that you face things, doesn't it? This is like, my wife says to me, why do you get up in the middle of the night to watch a football match from, from Europe? She thinks that's foolishness. I don't, of course. I think that's very important. But she thinks it's foolishness. She said, you can just watch the replay. Yes, you can. But by then, you probably know the score, and all the tension is not in it. Am I right, guys? Right? But if you're watching a football match and you, you know the score and your team goes behind, are you worried? If, like if you know that you've won the football match and you go behind, man, we're behind. Do you lose any sleep? Does your blood pressure... You, you, don't, you know what's going to happen. If you know what's going to happen, then you have nothing to fear because you know the end result. In the end... I've read the book. We win. The Antichrist is thrown down. The devil is smashed. Jesus is victorious. We get to live with him forever. Hallelujah. That's what I'm concentrating on. But, so that's what we shouldn't do, is, is lose sleep over all this stuff and, and, and argue over stuff that, that has no meaning. What we should do is we should pray for the people of Ukraine. Because they're going through it right now. They're going through a time of, of great suffering, completely undeserved. Um, pray for them, their safety, for their faith. The, the Ukraine is a very godly nation. There is a huge movement of Christians within the Ukraine. Pray for those guys that they can reach their people. It's important. Pray also that God gives our leaders wisdom because they're making decisions that will be very important in the days ahead. Pray also for the Russian people because most Russians are just like you and I. They're just normal people, despite having a, like a psychopath despot as a leader. They're just normal people. We should pray for them. Don't judge them all by, by their leader. How would you like everybody to judge us by our leaders? Huh? So pray for these guys. There's many godly mem uh, uh, people in, the, in Russia as well. The bottom line is we need to pray for believers in the Ukraine and Russia, and we need to pray for peace. But as well as praying, I want to encourage you to live the life God wants you to live. 2 Peter 3 says this, and there's been a lot of this going on, but it says this, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You see, the world is saying, Where's this Jesus? He's never coming back. What are you talking about? It's been 2,000 years. But you see, that's why we have these apocalyptic prophetic words to encourage us because we start to see a plan, a pattern that is rolling out and the birth pangs are starting to get closer together and more intense. So Jesus is coming back, I assure you. But don't get seduced by numbers and dates and times. As Peter says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away. This is interesting. The heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Listen to that. Heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the heavens will pass away with a roar. Now, I think that is a description of a nuclear holocaust. Because in a nuclear holocaust, the, the elements are actually broken. So it could be, it may not be, but it could be that way back then, before any of this stuff was even dreamt of, that Peter is writing a description of what is going to happen in the future and it will involve a nuclear war. Isn't that interesting? But most likely, we will not be there. 
We will be in the palm of God's hand and we'll be spending eternity with him. 2 Peter 3 says this, Waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You have nothing to fear. Are you worried about a nuclear war? Don't be. We get a new heaven and a new earth. We get new bodies. Good news for some. (laughs) Definitely good news for me. The best thing we can do in light of this current crisis is to pray for the innocent people caught in the crossfire, especially believers. And in addition, we should live a life of holiness that serves him so that when he returns, if it's tomorrow, next year, uh, uh, you know, decades down, when he returns, we want to make sure he finds faith on the earth in us, that we are faithfully serving him. Do I hear an amen to that? Amen. So I'm going to ask you, we're going to finish the, the church service a little bit differently. If you're new here, um, just bear with us because I believe we should take this moment to pray for the people of Ukraine, for the innocent Russian people for their peace and protection. But we also need to pray that we can stand in our nation as they will stand in theirs for what is godly and holy and true, faithfully proclaiming Christ, because our nation is dying just as theirs is, (coughs) just a little slower. But it's still, you know, we're still in the the wrong spot. Are you agreed? And I believe that this is our, our great opportunity to pray. We want to pray and we want to believe God. I'd encourage you also to come on Tuesday nights. We have a prayer meeting this coming Tuesday night. It's not just sitting around quietly mumbling. It's a very exciting meeting. There's lots of worship, lots of prayer, lots of seeking God. There's prophetic words, all sorts of cool stuff happening. And we would love you to be a part of that. So come along and join us for that. But for now, what I'm going to ask is that we pray for the nations, for Ukraine and Russia. Can we do that? You with me on that? And if you have any questions about this, which I'm sure somebody does, uh, happy to sit and discuss it. I haven't covered everything that I could have covered, but I just want you to take this away. God's in control. That's the takeaway. You have nothing to fear, just someone to serve. Do you hear me? Let's pray together. Lord, I just pray that you would just speak to our hearts. Father, as we concentrate on you, We just want to open our hearts to you and say, Lord, have mercy upon our nation. Have mercy upon our people. Lord, have mercy also upon the nation of Ukraine. Father, we pray for protection for the believers over there. We pray that their witness will be strong and powerful. Lord, we pray that you would raise that nation up to be all that you have called it to be, a God-fearing nation, proclaiming righteousness. Lord, we pray for the people of Russia caught in the balance here. Lord, we pray that this will be a time of great revival within the churches of Russia. We pray, Lord, against the spirit of communism, so active in the world. You can call it socialism, you can call it a mandate, but it's communism. And Lord, we pray against that level of control, and we pray, Father, for the protection of your people, that we will have the freedom to be able to preach the gospel to those who need to hear it in Jesus' name. Lord, speak to us, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.